Well, what a blessing to see you all here tonight. Please join me in Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians chapter 4. As we continue our series through this letter to the church in Philippi, we'll begin tonight by reading verses 4 through 7. The Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. We considered last week how Paul makes yet another call for unity in chapter 4. He calls for unity in every chapter in this letter. He beseeches the two ladies who are at odds with one another in the preceding verses that they get things right. And remember that even if it's only two people at odds in a church, it can affect the spirit of the entire church body. So we must make every attempt at reconciliation. And now we see in verse 4 that Paul makes yet another call for them to be rejoicing as a body of believers. He has also done this in every chapter. Paul wanted them to all be of the same mind in the Lord. And now he says, rejoice in the Lord. The basis of our unity and the basis of our joy is to be our commonality that we share in the Lord. You're not going to find unity and joy in one another. Not true unity and joy. Except that Christ is at the center of it. He must be the common point that brings us together, unifies us, and brings joy into our life. You realize that we are going to disappoint one another at times. I know I've never disappointed any of you. Right. We are going to disappoint each other. It happens. We won't always see eye to eye on every little thing. We may not grow as close to others as we do to some. But we all can find unity and joy in the Lord. He never disappoints. He has shown us what we are to believe. He has shown us where we are to stand collectively. And we all can draw close to Him. Now, the English word for rejoice here is translated into into English from different Greek words. So there are some slight differences in the meaning of the word rejoice. For example, in chapter 2 and in verse 16, Paul wrote, "...holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ." So in that verse, Paul is saying, when he says to rejoice in the day of Christ, that he may be able to glory in the day of Christ, boast in the day of Christ. Paul encouraged them to stay faithful because he hoped to rejoice or glory in them when the Lord returned. He wanted to know he didn't labor in vain and that he didn't run his race in vain. Now, here in chapter 4 and in verse 4 tonight, 
This word rejoice, it has the meaning that we most commonly understand it as in our minds. It means to be cheerful, to be glad. It was also a common salutation in those days. We, we saw a hint of that in Philippians 3 and verse 1, where Paul wrote, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. But as Paul typically can do sometimes, finally, and then he writes two more chapters, amen. So he must have been a Baptist. He just couldn't stop. And so he, he, it's a salutation, but anyway, when you read the Strong's Concordance of, of the definition of this word, to rejoice, they, they add this, to be calmly happy. Calmly happy. Now, happy is a word that has changed meanings down through the centuries. We most commonly use the word happy today in, in relation to an emotional experience. Happiness is typically used in the context of our feelings. Therefore, happiness can become a product of our surroundings, our circumstances, and our situation in life if we are not careful. If things are going well, then someone will say they're happy. But when things are not going well, someone will say they're not happy. As a result, for most people, happiness is always in this state of flux in their life. As our circumstances fluctuate, so will our happiness level fluctuate. But this isn't how happiness has always been defined. When the King James Bible was translated, for example, the word happy was most often associated with being blessed. Job 5.17 Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Well, there's nothing emotionally happy about being chastened. It wasn't when I was a kid, amen. Uh, There's nothing emotionally happy about being corrected. In fact, in Hebrews 12.11 we read, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. And yet happy is the man whom God corrects, or blessed is the man that God will correct. So you see how it's being used uh, then. So what am I getting at? When we read how rejoice is associated with being calmly happy, the idea isn't that we're riding a wave of emotional happiness due to us being on cloud nine. But it's the idea that we are going to be joyful no matter our circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. At all times. So when we read Philippians 4.4, we really can rejoice always because our rejoicing is not to be dictated by our outward circumstances, but it is to be anchored in who God is. Rejoice in the Lord. We can be joyful because of who God is. His character never changes. We can be joyful because He loves us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He is long-suffering. He is full of compassion. He is merciful. And He is gracious. Therefore, we can rejoice in the Lord always. We can rejoice in God's Word. 
Because it never changes. It is always the same. The promises of yesterday are still promises for today. And God has promised that He will perform His Word. And because of His character, because of who He is, we can trust the Word of God in our lives. Therefore, we can rejoice in the Lord always. God's grace is always sufficient. His blood will never lose its power. He saves to the uttermost. He clothes us in righteousness, in His righteousness. We've been saved from a devil's hell. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. He will perform His Word in our life. And when we are sealed, you can't lose it. Whoop! Listen, I'm trying to tell you, there are things that you can rejoice in the Lord about at all times. Regardless of what's happening in your circumstantial life, you can always rejoice in God. Listen, I'm on my way to heaven tonight. I can rejoice in that no matter what happens to me in this life. Rejoice in the Lord. While there is a difference in our day between joy and happiness, I would like to just suggest that if we, if we learn to biblically rejoice, it will cause us to be happy. Did you know Christians are supposed to be joyful people? Watch the live stream sometime and watch some of the people in the choir from week to week. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Be happy. You're saved. Amen. All right. For the most part, we should have smiles on our faces, no matter what's going on. Because we can always find reasons to be joyful. I'm not saying all the time, but most of the time we should be smiling folks. Um, So we must understand that rejoicing does not begin from a position of our emotional happiness. Because what has happened today is things like love and joy have become victims of our emotions, rather than being a servant to our wills. How can we possibly be commanded to love one another, like we are in the Bible, if love is an emotion which is just stirred up within us, and it's something that we can't control? But we are commanded to love one another. Likewise, then, how can we be encouraged to rejoice in the Lord at all times if our joy is driven by external factors outside of our control? Yet we are commanded to rejoice. When we have the mindset that joy is a product of our emotions, then we'll just end up riding the roller coaster of emotions all the time. We'll be up at one moment and we'll be down the next. And we won't learn, get this now, we won't learn how to deal with disagreements. Because we're always up, we're always down, we're always emotionally out of control. We, we won't learn how to deal with disagreements. We won't learn how to deal with our circumstances. And we're going to run off in a corner somewhere to pout and have a pity party for everybody to see in hopes that they take pity on us. Amen. 
Because everything's driven by emotions. And if I don't get this attention over here sulking, well, I'm going to know that church doesn't care about me. So, what brings stability? It's not circumstances of our life. We can't allow our circumstances to determine our joy or our sorrow. If we do, you have no chance of remaining joyous in this life. Because newsflash, life happens. So what brings us stability? It's what we know from His Word. Our thinking then will determine our actions. Therefore, our joy doesn't have to be dependent upon how things are going all the time. You see, biblical joy is not the result of some emotionally positive circumstance. Thank God for those times. Biblical joy is not some drummed up worship service experience where you're made to feel a certain way. Those experiences only leave people in the same position that they arrived to church in. They're still in the same circumstances. All they did was get drummed up and nothing ever changed. And because it was an emotionally charged experience with no prospect of real joy, because their minds were never truly engaged in a way which leads to a change in actions, the only way to remain at that joyful position is to continuously keep riding this high of emotions. Keep riding this wave of emotions. But the problem with this is, with artificial joy, is you cannot maintain that set of circumstances indefinitely. Because things happen. Therefore, the reason some cannot rejoice always is because they allow their emotions to always be in the driver's seat. But when we understand what it means to rejoice in the Lord, then we commit our wills to accomplishing rejoicing in the Lord. So our feelings are to be molded by what we think and what we will. I know you're thinking, preacher, this sounds like some modern day psychology message you're preaching here. Don't worry, we're going to get to verse 8 at some point, and it's going to say, finally, brethren, think on these things. Okay, so your mind is a big deal here. Our feelings and our emotions are not isolated from our thinking, but rather they are guided by them. I hope this is making sense tonight. Our emotions and our feelings have to be guided, they have to be uh, conformed, they have to be brought into subjection by our thinking and our doing. Romans 12, 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect Will of God. Amen. But sinful living, it reverses how we ought to respond. Instead, our actions tend to be steered by our feelings. And our thinking is often overruled by our selfish will. And in this pattern, it is only possible to rejoice when you feel good. Your joy is only found then in good circumstances. But if your circumstances aren't so good, 
then you have no chance of experiencing true joy. This is why so many feel hopeless, depressed, miserable, gloomy. The only time that, um, that those will experience joy is when things are going just the way they want them to. My husband's just right. My wife's just right. My kids are behaving. My church isn't aggravating me. The pastor's not pounding the pulpit. Uh, I'm, I'm happy. I'm joyful. So what happens is external factors have become the means by which you are filled. But what happens when the external factors are not enjoyable anymore? What happens when the money isn't there? And your job is at stake? What happens when you do lose your job? Are you rejoicing then? What happens when your relationships are fractured? What happens when your marriage is falling apart? What happens when your children rebel and forsake the truth? What happens when there's a death of a loved one? What happens when your body can't do what it used to do? In short, we could just sum it up this way. What happens when life doesn't go the way you want it to? Is it possible to rejoice then? Well, not if you start from the position of your feelings. However, if you start from what you know to be true of God, then it is possible to stay joyous at all times. Let's consider Habakkuk the prophet for just a moment. Habakkuk, he saw and he foretold of God's severe judgment to come. Listen to how the book of Habakkuk begins to come to an end in chapter 3. This is what he stated in Habakkuk 3.16. When I heard, my belly trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones. And I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. Habakkuk, he sees this impending judgment to come and he tells us how he, feel, how, how he feels. And he considers the day of deep trouble which is to come as a, as a judgment from God and it's, it's just over the horizon. Now listen, that's how he feels, but listen to how he's going to act in the next two verses. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Here's what Habakkuk did. He brought the experience of how he is feeling into subjection to what he knows to be true about God. He could see all the bad. He knew what was coming. He knew there was going to be a time of need in the land. And he says, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice. Even though circumstantially it makes no sense. Habakkuk could say, I'm going to keep my eyes on God. I'm going to joy in God. I'm going to rejoice in Him. 
So he does not allow his emotions and his circumstances to drive his joy. He doesn't allow his emotions to take over. Therefore, he could say this when there would be no, seemingly no available provisions. He could say he will rejoice. He says, I will rejoice. I will joy. Do you see what he's saying? Emotionally, he could have said, I'm not rejoicing. He says, despite my circumstances, I'm going to joy. I'm going to bring my emotions under control. I'm trembling. My my lips are trembling. My belly trembles. Rottenness is entering my bones. There's a day of trouble coming, but I'm going to bring all that into subjection. And I'm going to focus on God. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. And that's what we have to do. Don't Allow your emotions to take over. This is how he's able to stay joyful even in the midst of very troubling circumstances. Therefore, we too can maintain our joy in the midst of deep trials, in the midst of deep pain. We can maintain our joy in the midst of doubt and confusion. We can rejoice in the Lord always, but I want you to understand tonight, it is your choice. The problem is we become obsessed with ourselves. And our circumstances, we get our eyes off God and onto us. We make what we know about us and our situation the most important focal point rather than making God the focal point. Amen. The prophet Jeremiah, he went through a large range of emotions. Amen. It's, it's interesting to study his life. And when you read the Lamentations, you just get a sense of all that's happening in Jeremiah's life. Jerusalem's being destroyed by the Babylonians. The, the remnant are going to be carried away captive for 70 years. Lamentations 3. I'm just going to give you a little snippet. It'd be good if you read the whole chapter, but decided to shrink it down for the sake of the saints. Amen. Lamentations 3, verses 18 through 26. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, the bitterness. My soul hath them still in remembrance as is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, the soul that seeketh Him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. If you break that down, you'll find Jeremiah's first focus was on himself. He says, my strength, my hope, mine affliction, my misery. He's looking at himself. He's looking at his circumstances, all that's taking a place around him. He's finding no reason to joy. But then all of a sudden, in the midst of these dreadful circumstances, he looks Godward. And he begins to recall some things to mind. He allows the thoughts that he knows about God, who he is, to bring his emotions under control. 
That's what brings him hope. He reminds himself that God is merciful. That God is compassionate. That God is faithful. That God is his portion. That God is where he needs to place his hope. And that God is good. You see, that's what helps you. When you remember who God is. What he said he would do. I hope you see how this works. We do not allow our emotions to drive our joy, but we allow our thoughts about who God is to drive our joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. So stop looking at your circumstances. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Don't find what you can complain about in your circumstances, but find what you can rejoice about in the Lord through your circumstances. Some are always looking for the perfect situation before they can find reasons to be joyful. But there are no perfect situations. There's no perfect relationships. There are no perfect spouses. There are no perfect children. Y'all should at least amen. They're not even in here right now. You can at least amen that. There's no perfect government. There's no perfect judicial system. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect pastor. But some in their quest to find the perfect life, they end up becoming hypercritical of everything and everyone. And once you begin to adopt that critical mindset about everything, you're heading for a miserable life. This is why a man can look at his wife for 30 years and say, I'm out of here. Because he believes there's actually something better out there not realizing he's really the problem. You see, his joy has been tied to somebody other than God. This is why people bounce from job to job looking for the perfect work environment. It doesn't exist. Listen, and when you do that, you're placing the outcome of your joy in life on a perfect job situation and not who God is. People come to a church hoping they have finally found the perfect church. This is as close as you're going to get. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But some come in here looking for the perfect situation. But because they have adopted an emotionally driven joy and a critical spirit, just as soon as they are disappointed about whatever, they're off to the next church. They'll leave because their joy isn't anchored in who God is. I just recently learned of a situation where someone allowed Satan to plant thoughts in their mind. Well, that church doesn't care about us. Well, that's not true, but they believed the lie and they left. What happened? Their joy as Christians were being placed in human relationships and not God and His Word. I know this church is welcoming. You seem to care about other people. And, and, and listen, I know we preach it straight. I know we stand on God's Word. So why leave a good church? It's because joy has become emotionally driven. But when we are allowing joy to be a result of who God is, listen now, we can overcome the imperfect spouse. You can overcome imperfect children. You can overcome imperfect bosses and job situations. You see what I'm trying to say tonight? I just caught that. Shame on you. (laughs) 
<laughs> but you can overcome those things. You can overcome an imperfect church, an imperfect... I'm not saying there's not times to leave a church, okay? Don't take that. But I'm just saying you can overcome those, those things that maybe don't happen just the way you want it to. So anyway, God understands so much that rejoicing the Lord always can, can be such a hard thing that at the end of verse 4, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he writes, and again, I say, rejoice. If you don't think it's possible, I'm telling you again, rejoice. Always rejoice. It's possible to achieve. It's not out of the reach of the child of God to live a joyous life. I mean, you don't have to wear a fake smile all the time, amen? I mean, be who you are. But you can rejoice, right? We can still rejoice even through the, the bad times. Now, I believe learning this principle is going to be enough to keep all of us in here busy until the Lord returns. And I, I'm preaching a lot of this to me. I'm a very emotional guy. Amen. Just watch me when I watch a, a Georgia game. We have to learn to bring those things into subjection. It takes time. But what's sad is, I know those who claim to be in the Lord, and yet I have never, or I have only very rarely seen them rejoice in the Lord. They're bitter towards God. They're angry at how life has turned out. And as a result, they seemingly have no joy at all in the Lord. If you're not rejoicing in the Lord tonight, then somewhere you have allowed your circumstance to become the driving factor of your joy. Your focus is off. So, what's keeping you from rejoicing in the Lord? Don't allow joy to become a victim of your emotions. But allow your joy to be an expression of who God is. Amen. Why am I joyful? Because God saved me. And all the things I listed before. So, we can rejoice always because of who God is. Amen. So don't look so much at your circumstances. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray.